For all of us, I think we can admit it's a difficult time to be an American. It's, it's not easy. We're, we're still, if you read the headlines, we're still involved in foreign wars. We are plagued by partisan politics. We have natural disasters like hurricanes coming our way. We're seeing the first effects of global warming. We know all about school shootings. We have a president who's gone through an impeachment trial. And we have the Monica Lewinsky scandal. (laughs) What are you you doing here? Um, Listen, what I've just given you is the opening lines of a series I did on 1 Peter in 1999. And it's almost identical, besides our girl, Monica Lewinsky, okay? (laughs) Guys, whether it's 1999 or 2020 or where we're going to look this morning, A.D. 62, it's always been troubled times to live. And what we need is what we've been singing about all morning long, hope you've noticed. What we need is hope. We don't need wishful thinking. I hope things get better. We need biblical Hopeful thinking, I know things will get better. And the book of First Peter is all about hope. So if you'll turn in your Bible or your phone, I want us to all stand in reverence for God's Word as we begin our study of this great book. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You may be seated. Now, what we're going to do today, because, I mean, if you read this, you know it's Peter, because it's like a machine gun. I mean, he's just boldly, I mean, there are more more than 20 descriptions of who we are and who we ought to be in just these nine verses. So what I want to do this morning to introduce the book is sort of pull back a little bit from that, and let's get the big picture. We're going to get the big picture by filling in the blanks of one simple sentence that will tell you so much about this book. Let's start off. Here's your first blanks. First Peter is a letter written by the Apostle Peter. In fact, the first word in the book is Peter. 
And, and, and you know, you don't have to go beyond the first word to get hope. Why? Because if you look back in the Gospels, Peter is the biggest mess up of all the apostles. I mean, Peter's writing to a group of people here who are about to be persecuted. What is Peter's history with persecution? He wilted under a one question, do you know this man? And yet, if you read the Gospels, besides Jesus, he's the biggest figure there. Peter is mentioned 195 times in the Gospels. Second runner-up is the Apostle John, mentioned only 29 times. Jesus believed that this man named Simon could become Peter, which means a rock. In fact, I read something I've never heard this week. He may have been the first person in the history of the world to ever bear the name Peter. It was just a common word for rock. And yet Jesus saw in him who he could be. Now, here's what's so amazing. This is what gives us hope. In the Gospels, he's outspoken, he's arrogant, and he's weak. By the time we get here, he's humble, he's encouraging, he's warm, and he's strong. And that gives me hope. Just that I can change, that you can change. In fact, the contrast is so big. Almost every scholar agrees that Peter wrote 1 Peter. That makes sense, right? But there are some who doubt it. And the reason they doubt it is because they can't believe that this old fisherman like Peter could write this beautifully. It's like that's beyond him to, to be able to express this so well. So, just get hope from the first word. People can change. He is so different because this man had been with Jesus. And he's different enough to write this book. Okay, let's keep filling in the blank. First Peter, a letter written by the Apostle Peter to Christian exiles. Now, now what does it mean to be an exile? It means that you've been banished from your home country. You've been banished from your normal life. Some of you watching online feel right now because you, you've had to quarantine because of different issues that, that you have been banished from going out to a restaurant or even banished from coming to church. And, and so he talks about these exiles who've been scattered. That's a, a big Jewish word. Remember in the persecution back in captivity, the Jewish people were scattered across the world. And now at this moment, the Christian people have been scattered across the world. And they become exiles. They're not at home. Other translations would use the terms aliens, even a term we seem very uncomfortable with today, immigrants, which means they belong to another country. So they're here, but they belong somewhere else. Let's try to explore that for a minute. What does it mean to be a Christian exile? What it says to me here is, guys, on one hand, you're not a tourist, okay? You're not just visiting. You're not just here for a moment. On the other hand, you are not a resident. You're not here permanently. As the old song says, I'm just, I'm just a passing through. My home is in heaven. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, my citizenship is in heaven. So what are we? If we're not tourists, if we're not residents, what are we? We are, here's the words I would use, we are peculiar pilgrims. Say that with me. We are peculiar pilgrims. Been wanting to call you peculiar for a while. You we are peculiar pilgrims. We're different. The deal is 
we're not home, we're on our way home. And here's something you've got to grasp about the Christian life. You're never going to be completely satisfied here. Oh, you can be joyful and you have abundant life, but this is not home. It's never going to feel like home. We know this when we're traveling. If you're traveling, you're staying in a hotel, or you're going different places, you say, I can't wait to get home and sleep on my what? Bed. Why? Because, because what we do at home is we make things fit. My bed is just the right softness. I've got just the perfect chair to watch TV in. Actually, in my home, I know where the remote is. I can find my reading glasses because I know where they go every time. When we build home, what we try to do is build a home where things fit us. That's why all of our homes are different. Now, that's what heaven is. Heaven is going to be a place where things perfectly fit. But here's what we got to recognize if we believe that. In this world, it will never perfectly fit. So if you're looking to ever get a point in your life where everything fits, you are looking for the wrong thing. If you're waiting to have joy, if you're waiting to have hope, that's our message. For that to happen, just forget it. You'll never never get it. So we're waiting for heaven. Why? Because Psalm chapter 90 says, God is our dwelling place. Not until we're with God will we be truly home. Because heaven is where God is. Now, We are pilgrims. We're just passing through. But we're also peculiar. We're different. Our neighbors may like us, but they don't always understand us. Well, we understand this in America today, don't we? We start to feel like exiles, don't we? They think we're really nice people, but they don't understand why you'd come to church this morning. And they don't understand why you have certain values you do. And why you live a certain lifestyle. We're, we're, we're peculiar. In fact, here are the five things at the end of the first century that made Christians stand out as being very different, okay? And I want you to watch these because I think you'll see they're the very same things in 2020. First of all, Christians were peculiar because they believed in one God. In the Roman Empire, you believed in multiple gods and just depending on your circumstances, you called on the God you needed at that moment. And we live in a culture now that doesn't agree on one God or one truth. And so in a particular moment, you call on whatever you want. Number two, they were really different in the first century because they were generous to all people regardless of race. That made them stand out. People didn't understand that. There would never been a community like that. Number three, we'll see this in this book. They were joyful in suffering. Tell me that makes sense. How peculiar is that? And what may have made them more peculiar than anybody else around was forgiveness. I mean, they they forgave people who did them wrong. Jesus forgave his executioners. They did some of the same things. I think the most touching of all the tributes in the last week to, to John Lewis is that here's a man who quickly forgave the state troopers who beat him on that bridge. People stand up and go, wow. That's different. And then number five is sexual chastity. Nobody in the ancient world understood that sex was reserved for marriage. Made them weird. And guess what? It still makes us weird today. 
These five things I've mentioned, one God, generosity to all races, joyful and suffering, forgiveness, and sexual purity still make us radical. So God's, we're different. We're peculiar. Now, that brings us to the next part of our sentence. First Peter, a letter written by the apostle Peter to Christians' exiles undergoing fiery trials. Verse 7 said, we are being refined by fire. By the time we get to chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's part of life. Everything in this book, catch this, is about being in the furnace. It's living life when the heat has been cut up. Now, what's going on with these guys? First of all, what we've already said, they're peculiar. You know, if you're a businessman and you won't cheat to make more money, you may be ostracized where you work. If you're a teenager and you won't have sex out of marriage, you may be ostracized with your friends. If you're a coach that cares more about character than wins and losses, you may be ostracized because you're different. But beyond that, not only were these guys peculiar, they were also persecuted. You see, here's what's happening at this point in history. To this point... Christianity has been protected because the Roman people, government, looked at Christianity as just a sect of the Jewish religion, and, and they had accepted that. But as Judaism and Christianity divided, no longer did Christians have that protection. And then you have this really evil man that becomes emperor named Nero, and he uses Christians as a scapegoat. You see, Nero wants to, to rebuild Rome. He loved, thought he was a great architect. And so he sets a fire that burns the city down. And everybody is so mad about it. He doesn't know what to do. So he comes up with this scheme. Let's blame the Christians. They're the ones who caught this fire. And so what happens is a great persecution comes out. Nero begins to crucify Christians all over Rome. In fact, it's so bad that when Nero had dinner parties in his garden, he would use the bodies of Christians as torches. So they're about to hit a bad time. And guess who else is going to hit a bad time? It's Peter. Within two, three years tops of Peter writing this book, in A.D. 64, Peter is crucified upside down outside of Rome. So they're in the furnace. Now here's what you've got to catch. Fire is powerful. And it can be powerful for bad, destruction. And here's what Peter believes. It can be powerful for good refinement. Now, we understand this. It's the difference in a really good cook and a really bad cook. You may use the same oven, but you might get different results. You might experience that. I mean, if you know how to put the ingredients together and you know how to set the temperature and you know when to pull it out, you, you may get something you're going to talk about for days if, if, you, if you're a good cook. But if you're like me, you're probably just going to burn whatever you put together, okay? And so as we go through this fire and we're put in this furnace, it can destroy us or it can refine us. And I think what Peter has in mind when he's writing this book are the goldsmiths of his day. So here's what they would do. They would put impure gold 
in the furnace where the impurities would pass away, but the gold would stay. And how would they know that the gold was purified? They could look at the gold and see the reflection of their image. And my friends, that is what Peter is saying God is trying to do with you and with me. He's allowed us or even maybe put us in the fire to purify us to a point where his reflection, his image is fully in us. So here's what Peter says. Don't be surprised. Embrace these difficult, troubled times as something actually good and joyful. So let's um, keep completing our sentence. First Peter is a letter written by the Apostle Peter to Christian exiles undergoing fiery trials. And here's the key. Giving them reason for a living hope. Well, I love that. You know, we, we, we talk about in the Gospels living water. What does that mean? It's fresh. It's moving. It's alive. It keeps on and on and on. It's endless. It's dynamic. And when Peter talks about here of a living hope, he's talking about something that's fresh and dynamic and unending. It's not a dead hope. It's not, oh, that was nice back there, or that'll be nice up here. It's, it's all the way through. So I've asked Jeremy and the worship team today to lead us in this incredible song that states so strongly that we have a living hope. Let's all stand together and sing this. We'll close out today answering the question, why? Why can we have living hope in fiery times, in fiery trials? And you just sang it. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And there's two words that I'll pull out of the text that we're going to have a long time to talk about, but want to bring. Why can we have hope? First of all, because we have salvation. Now, we use the term salvation in way too loose of a, a term as just, you know, I was saved. And No, it, the word means we're rescued. We're delivered. We're delivered from the fiery fire. We are rescued from our sins. And, and just quickly, Peter used it in two different ways. We've been saved. We have been saved from the penalty of our sins. We are being saved. It's really odd the way the Bible. We've been saved. We are being saved. That's what the word sanctification is all about. Sanctification is about you and I becoming more and more like Jesus. Oh, in our rebirth, we became perfect in the eyes of God. But practically, we're not perfect. So we are being saved. And then the Bible also says we will be saved. One day, we will be saved from all the consequences and all the repercussions of living in this fallen world that we know all too well right now. We will be in a place where God is our home. You see, guys, the biggest distinction I can come up between heaven and hell is that God is in heaven and he's not in hell. And that makes all the difference in the world. And one day we'll be saved from a place where the devil reigns and the earth is broken and our bodies are broken. And we'll be in a place where we will be perfect because of the power of God. So why does that happen? It's because Jesus Christ, our living hope, the second word is Savior. We have a Savior who rescued us. And Peter makes two really strong points in this book about why we can trust the Savior. First of all, we have a risen Savior. That's what we said in verse 3. 
You notice, I mean, that, that was the turning point in Peter's life. When he witnessed the resurrected Christ, everything changed. And friends, listen to me. We, we don't have this flimsy foundation here for our hope. We've got a foundation built on the historical fact that we believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Just that one fact changes everything because our greatest enemy, death, cannot reign over us. Because without it, you have no hope. Thomas Jefferson was a brilliant leader of our country. But like so many of our original leaders, he really wasn't Christian. Many of our original founders, despite our claims today, were deists. Thomas Jefferson was a naturalist. He did not believe that God ever intervened in history. And so, at the end of his life, he decided how brave, how bold, how arrogant to rewrite the Gospels. So, so Jefferson went through and cut out all the miracles Taped it all together. You can actually go to a museum now and see what's called the Jefferson Bible. Here's the problem. It ends with the death of Jesus. He's just another dead guy. And when you end there, you have no hope. But where you end where Peter did, he's resurrected from the dead, you have a Savior who gives you hope. And then the second point here is we have a present Savior. This may be the strongest point of all of 1 Peter. When we talk about fiery trials, here's what Peter's going to say. Jesus went through the furnace for me. That's what the cross was all about. He went through the furnace for me. But here's, here's the hope in the middle of our difficulty. Jesus will go through the furnace with me. That's the point of this book. No matter how bad things go, he's always present. And when you have hope and you have a Savior, you can make it through anything. You say, well, okay, buddy, well, what's our role? Well, there's one word used through here. Our role is faith. Through faith, we are shielded. The last line we looked at this morning, you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, here's what's going to determine whether you experience this morning what God wants you to experience is do you have faith in Jesus Christ? In fact, let's, let's just boil it down to one question. Do you believe that this is true? It's easy to go, oh, it's a nice little book. Oh, remember Peter, what a, what a crazy dude. Yep, we got that. I'm, no, 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 no. This is so important, especially in the days that we live, is do you believe this is true? Do you believe he resurrected from the dead? Do you believe he can use the worst thing in your life for the best thing in your life to form your character? Do you believe that he's present with you no matter how difficult things get? Do you believe that Jesus is victorious even in the middle of the worst GDP quarter in the history of our country? Is Jesus present in the midst of this pandemic? Is Jesus present when things are so uncertain? Is Jesus present in a culture where we have become more and more the exiles? You see, if you and I believe this, we have living hope. It's that simple. So let's get practical. Do you need us to pray for you today? 
We've got a number up here on the screen, 334-721-4548. You've gotten really good about texting in the prayer request that we can share with the church. If you're our guest today, I think for many of us, the favorite thing about Landmark Church is the openness and honesty and lack of religious pretense that happens on this front row every Sunday in normal times. And right now, we're not quite able to do that. But if you will text us your prayer request, maybe, maybe you just need to put, I need hope. Or maybe you recognize the reason you don't hope is because you're like the the man in the Gospels who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And maybe you just need to text, I need faith. I want to believe this. But when I get in the muck and mire of everyday life and, and, and everything's so different and so uncertain, I don't live like I have this kind of faith. I want to live with living hope. Man, you, you text us your, your prayer request, and we will pray for you, whatever your prayer request. And unless you designate it just for the leaders, we will send this to the whole church. We've been having a great time praying for everybody. So, so please do that right now. If you're thinking like the Haywood family about being baptized, that's where you meet the resurrection of Jesus. If you're thinking about being baptized, then, then just put on your text, baptism. And um, we'll contact you, and we'll talk about that. The pandemic's closed down a lot of things, but it's not going to close down people coming to Jesus. Amen? Amen. So please take the time to do that right now. But right now what I want us to do is I want us to to close our service with communion. So if you go ahead and take your bag out and get your styrofoam out. (laughs) This is such a special time. And I I want to boil it down to, I think, the two most important points we've made this morning that I'd like you to think about as you Meet the Lord at this table as you commune with our Savior. I, I want you, first of all, to, to remember that Jesus Christ went through the furnace for you. So as we take communion, we, this is not a sad time, guys. This is a celebration because we have been rescued. We have been saved by our Savior. That's what happened on the cross in the glorious resurrection. So remember, Jesus Christ with through the furnace for you. So you don't have to go through it in eternity. But right now, while the heat's turned up in our day, in our broken world, I want you all to remember is that Jesus Christ will go through the furnace with you. And that's what this table and this time is about. Literally, you are going to partake of the body and blood of Jesus. How close is he to you? He comes in you. You are partaking of the results of what Jesus has done for you. And so as you partake of this, there's a very special way. I believe that Jesus is with us in these moments. But it's just as special when you walk out of these doors in a few minutes that he, through the Holy Spirit, is still with you. So as you come here this morning, you've got all these trials and troubles going on around you. Remember, he's been there, and he's still there with you. Reminds me of that awesome story in Daniel chapter 3 where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get in trouble because they will not bow down to that foreign god. And they are ripped from their homes. They are thrown in literally a fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar cuts the furnace up as high as possible. 
And then the craziest thing happened. They had a living hope. They lived. Nebuchadnezzar and his guards looked down. The furnace was so hard, hot, it burned up some of the soldiers around it. But they looked down into the furnace, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were alive. But here's the good news. There was a fourth figure they could see. And Scripture reveals to us it was the Son of God. He was with them in the fire, and they survived. So today, as you go to the table, as you partake, remember, he is with you. Let's pray together. Father, God, we are so thankful, God, for your word, Lord. We're thankful for an ancient book that is just as relevant in 2020 as it was in 1999 and it was in 62 A.D., that with many, many different words, some we don't understand real well, it's been revealed to us that Jesus went through the fiery furnace for us. And right now, while we live in that furnace, he is with us. And may that be so real to us as we take of this bread that represents the body of Jesus, of this cup that represents, as Peter said, the blood sprinkled for us. Help us to celebrate in this moment. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.